episode 164 brings us back to Thanksgiving morning, November 24th, 1993, for a Norm Nathan show that I will call Storytime. Not only does our guest tell stories, but so do the callers. It's one I hope you enjoy all throughout this coming week. Norm's guest was uber-successful film director Richard Fleischer, son of animation pioneer Max Fleischer. He had written a book called Tell Me When to Cry. Now, he's directed such greats as Lawrence Olivier, Rex Harrison, Robert Mitchum, Sylvia Sidney, um, Orson Welles, Kirk Douglas, many, many others. And he regales us with all those stories from his career in what really is another great interview by Norm. They do take one call from Mark and Newton. Post-interview, I joined Norm, and we talked a little turkey, including the Swell Music Quiz and an upcoming guest, Fred Goss of the Newsletter Association. How about some calls? Fred from Medford. There's a caller with a very familiar voice. I just can't recall the name. He reads a chapter from a story he was writing, and I believe it was titled The Castle. Charlie in Framingham, who keeps interrupting Norm. Gloria sharing grief and maybe a love connection. Danny from Rivera, who tells a personal Thanksgiving story. Janet with a sweet call. Joe the Baker Plumber with some cooking tips. Robert talking accents. Not that Robert, a different Robert. And Joe from Quincy, who also chats about accents. Episode 164, Storytime, turns to page one. Now. I'm really excited. Hello. I'm really excited about tonight's guest. Uh, he'll, he's Rob, uh, Richard Fleischer, who was a Hollywood director who directed so many movies and so many huge names. I just can hardly wait to talk to him, and we'll do that in just a, a little bit. Let me check a couple of things first. In the sports, the uh, Celtics won. They beat Detroit. And uh, uh, the jazz singer and uh, Dr. Doolittle and the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, from from the 1940s when he uh, worked for RKO Pathé News. Remember the newsreels in movie theaters? Anyway, he talks about the, a lot of wonderful anecdotes in a book he's just come out with called Just Tell Me When to Cry, which is an absolute delight. And I'm, I can't tell you how much of a kick it is for me to talk with you, Richard Fleischer. Thank you for coming on with us. I'm delighted to talk to you, Norm. Okay. I, it's It's very hard for me. To imagine directing people, some of the people that you have directed, Orson Welles, for example, or uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier, and Rex Harrison, and uh, Robert Mitchum, and uh, I mean the list just goes on, absolutely on and on and on. When you were first, when you first became a director, among the first pictures you you made, I know that you you, you worked with the B pictures primarily, and we wanted to do more of A pictures. It's kind of funny because B and A pictures are things that people don't know much about these days uh, is that was that kind of kind of tough for you or intimidating to start working with these huge names well um, you know when I started I wasn't working with huge names I was working with hugely unknown names <laughs> the B pictures were the smaller budget films without long schedules without big budgets uh, and without big stars, without any stars, really. Uh, but uh, we had to, it was a great training ground. So when I did make my transition into uh, A, so-called A films, 
uh, I had already had quite a bit of experience in making films. But still, when you step into a, a situation with very famous stars and you are a relatively unknown director, it's a little nervous-making, certainly. You, start, you started out in newsreels as, it's a, as a, a title. Now, what was the first title that you had? Title maker? Uh, assistant title writer. Assistant title writer. Yeah. Well, now, what does that mean? Well, um, you know, the newsreel was made up of several different short uh, stories. Yeah, I remember, I remember them so well, yes. Yeah, not, not really current because uh, all of these things happened a few days before you saw it on the screen. Not like television or radio is today. But um, the in between the stories, there were titles that tells you what the next story is. It was like headlines in a newspaper. And uh, I wrote some of those. There was a head writer who wrote uh, above me and had to approve of what I was writing. But those were just titles for these stories. And then there were the commentaries that went on... Uh, explaining what the pictures were that you were seeing. And I wrote some of those. But I ended up being the head writer for the newsreel and writing the commentaries and the titles and all that. I know the early days of uh, television news copied those same newsreels that you're talking about. They put music behind them. Do you remember that one? Of course you do. When, when the television, <laughs> yes, the music and the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the narration would be very, very similar and all that till television finally found uh, its own niche and its own way of presenting the news. Yeah. I, 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 it would have been a natural move, I guess, for you to have gone from writing titles to actually writing news or to working in television news, and you didn't do that. Uh, no. I know you, you're for, you, you graduated the Yale Drama School, so was it more natural to go into movies rather than television? No, no. The, uh, the usual progression was to go from like theater school or whatever job you had into television. And usually theater people like myself uh, would go into live television, doing live uh, drama. Uh, but uh, I had an unusual situation because I was discovered by a talent scout for RKO Radio Pictures who saw my theater work and said, uh, sought me out after one of these performances and said, uh, young man, how would you like to come to Hollywood and direct movies? <laughs> he said, yeah. <laughs> Do not pass go. Uh, so uh, that's how I went to Hollywood, which was kind of a real Cinderella story. And it, I was very lucky. It really says we're talking back in the 40s at that time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it just it, now. Where were you, where were you from at the time? Where where had you grown up? Well, I uh, grew up mostly in New York City, but uh, I went to uh, prep school to the Peak School Military Academy, which is Upper New York, and then uh, to uh, to Brown University, which was uh, very near Boston. I also went took some courses in Boston University. And uh, then I went to Yale, so I was still uh, hanging around New England quite a bit. So you was you was very very young when you went out to Hollywood. Yeah, I was the youngest uh, director in Hollywood at that time. I was twenty seven. 
Do you, do you recall? And incidentally, your book is just a delight. I I can't tell you how much I enjoyed it. Okay. It's called Just Tell Me When to Cry. It says right. Carolyn Graff. Now, I don't know those names. Uh, let's see, Carolyn Graff. The, I would guess the book is available just about everywhere. Carolyn Graff Publishers Incorporated, New York. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, if anybody who's interested in films or just great anecdotes and, and stories about movies and the people who make them and the people who star in them and all that kind of stuff, I think would just be be totally thrilled by Just Tell Me When to Cry, which was a quote from Sylvia Sidney. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to know how that came about? Please. Well, I was trying to impress Sylvia Sidney with how much... Uh, how, what a good director I was. I hadn't worked with her before, and it was our first day working together. So I was giving her lots of deep psychological motivations and going in great depth into her character and the plot, and you know, all of that stuff, really laying it on very heavy. And she was knitting all the and time. She was knitting and, and not looking at me, but just knitting, and I thought listening, hoping she was listening, and I was thinking, well... Maybe I'm not deep enough for her. Maybe she needs, a, you know, a deeper director or another director. God knows what. So uh, I kept uh, digging away at this, and finally I ran out of steam, and I said, well, Miss Sidney, there you are. Uh, what do you think? And she stopped knitting finally and looked up at me with a twinkle in her eye, and she said, well, I'll tell you what, Mr. Fleischer. When we get on the stage... If you need tears, all you have to do is just tell me when to cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was as simple as that. So, uh, of course, it worked that way. She was marvelous. And uh, I would turn to her and, I, and I'd say, Sylvia, cry. And she'd burst into tears. <laughs> so I didn't need all of that method uh, approach. You know, the, the crying part, and I've forgotten who the supplies do, but you write about somebody... You felt that there was one scene where if there was some some crying in there, that would have really been kind of nice, but a person could not cry. I'm trying to think of what that was. Oh, yeah. Well, that was not crying, but anger. I think you're, you're thinking of the Neil Diamond anecdote, I think. Well, yeah. I'd, I'd like to hear that. I, I don't think I was, but I'd like to hear that one anyway. Oh. Well, I was doing a scene with Neil Diamond, and you know, Neil Diamond in The Jazz Singer, and... Uh, Neil had never acted in his life, and he was quite, I thought, quite remarkable in the picture. But I was doing a scene with him where he needed a great deal of anger, and uh, he wasn't giving it to me. He couldn't seem to get revved up enough to give me real anger. And his band was in as part of that scene. They were there, so he turned to the band and said something to them, and they started to play and it sent Neil Diamond into an absolute frenzy. He went completely berserk, and he started picking up instruments and throwing them, and he knocked over the music stands and the microphone, so I grabbed him quick and put him in front of the camera and rolled it and told him, action, go ahead. And he did the scene and had all the anger I wanted. And finally, when we finished the scene, I cut it. I went up to him, and I said, what happened, Neil? How did you... What what did this to you? He said, well, I told my band to play something that would make me angry. And I said, well, what happened? What did they play? He said, 
They played a Barry Manilow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that turned them on. That was that was a lovely story. I, I really just got such a kick out of it. You've seen fits of temper by certainly by other performers as well. Robert Mitchum, you were mentioning while you were doing his while you were doing a, a, re, a re, redoing the ending of his kind of woman with uh, the Howard Hughes Company. Yeah. And uh, there was one time when he went totally berserk. Apparently, he hit the bottle fairly often, at least each night. Yes, he was. Uh, well, he had reason to, because the picture was driving him nuts. He'd been on the film a year and had done parts of it over and over and over again. And uh, I got him at the end of this long time. And uh, the part that I did with him. Uh, it lasted several months, and we did that over three times for Howard Hughes. So naturally, uh, Bob was taking some comfort in, in little glasses of vodka stashed around the, the stage. But uh, in, we, we did have a, a, a run-in one day. Actually, it was the next to the last day of shooting, unfortunately. And he went completely bananas and uh, smashed up the set, broke every light, put his foot through the walls and the doors and the windows went out. And uh, that, that's what happened with Bob. I thought I would be the next thing to be demolished. <laughs> no. He spared me. Most of us have no idea about how you direct a movie or how... Could you go, go through the steps of it from the time you see a script deciding whether or not you want to actually direct that. And I know sometimes you're kind of forced into... Uh, are you very often forced into directing things from scripts that you don't care about? It depends on how financially stable you are. Well, I guess that's true. Most any business <laughs> has a lot that. to do with it, believe me. Okay, from the time then you get a script yeah. and you say, hey, I'm going to direct this and uh, all that kind of stuff. What are the steps that happen at that point on? Well... Uh well, this is a long story. I, mean, I, I know, like but I get, I'm gonna I'm gonna be on the air for millions of hours, <laughs> and I'd I'd love to hear that because we don't I don't I've never had a chance to talk to a real successful director ever before. Well, the first thing you do is uh, you you get a staff together that's going to make the picture, uh, production manager uh, a, and a production designer. Those are your key people, and uh, you start breaking down the script or if it is a script. Sometimes you get a book and you have to turn it into a script. That's a much longer process. But going from this, this place where you suggested, you get those people, you break it down and decide how you're going to make the picture, whether you're going to make it in a studio or on location or part of each. And then um, you have to draw up a budget for the film and the shooting schedule. And those are the things you have to live with later on, months and months later. The things you decide early on, you have to live with later on. And then that has to get approved by the producer, and you make all kinds of adjustments and, and uh, compromises when you do that in order to get the picture made. Usually you come in, too, it's too expensive or the schedule is too long or whatever. And uh, they, we lay out a storyboard and a, a shooting board, and then you start casting. And you, you uh, see everybody that's humanly possible, that, that might play 
some of those roles or all of the roles, you know, you know, you just keep going with that. And eventually the day comes when you have to start shooting. By that time, you've selected a crew, a cameraman, costume designer, everything. There's hundreds of people that you have to work with and, and guide and make thousands and thousands of critical decisions all the time. And that's pretty much a very broad outline of, of how much, what you go through. There's thousands of details I had, couldn't possibly go into with you now. No, no and, and that would require a, at least one volume and maybe a whole set of volumes. But I noticed when, you, when I'm watching credits now, you watch, you watch the credits of movies, yeah. and they include everybody, including the people who are catering, yeah. the insurance companies, yeah. and a whole bunch of stuff. What 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 has brought this on? I I can't imagine anybody who's watching a film really caring. Do, do you get a rake off from the caterer if he gets his name on the screen, or or why is that done? Well, I really don't know, and I feel as you do. I'm very much against the the broadcast giving of of credit. Everybody, you know, a friend of the producer and uh, yeah. a pal of the guy that sweeps the stage, they all get credit, and. Uh, so many people have to work so hard for so many years to get a deserved credit. Uh, I don't think these other people's contribution to what you see on the screen is, is significant enough. But uh, there it is. A lot of it comes from uh, the guilds and the unions who have made demands that their members who work on the picture have to get screen credit. Uh, it was some part of a bargaining process from years back. Yeah, I, can I don't know why that is, and I don't approve of it. Yeah, no, I can understand that for, you know, for the gaffer and the electrician or, you know, whatever, the, the people yeah. who, who have, have some technical interest. But when I see the caterer and the insurance companies and all these other things, anyway, that's a whole other thing. And also the opening of movies uh, usually presents about 9,000 names, it says, you know. Sidney Lepkowitz in association with uh, Ferenka Pupu, and, and it goes on and on. Uh, why are there so many names at that point? That's vanity. Okay. Vanity. And, and a lot of, I don't know, people want to see their names on the screen. They want to get credit. I don't know why. But uh, when they make a deal with a, with a producer or with a studio or whoever is making the picture... They say, fine, we'll make the deal, but I want a credit on the screen. And some of those credits really are, are meaningless. I've made pictures uh, that have producers be having credit on the film, and they're people I never met, huh. never heard of, huh. until I saw the names on the screen. So it's all uh, a vanity thing. And somehow they get a hook in it, these people, and say, I'll give you this that you want so badly, but you have to give me a screen credit. You're, now, you spoken of screen credits, you have done so many, many movies. Yeah. You must be way, way up there with the, the number of movies you have directed. Uh, there can't be too many other people who directed the number that you have. And certainly, I've wondered if anybody's even directed more. It doesn't seem possible. Well, uh, historically, yes, the directors have made more, but not many. I've made... 47 feature films. Uh, mm. 
So that's a lot of movies. Especially when you consider the steps that you were talking about, going from the you know the very beginning, maybe even before the script stages, just getting a book or something like that you want yeah. to make into a film, then getting the writers and all of that, uh, and yet you you have uh, yeah you've kept busy for what like forty five uh, years or more. I started fifty years ago. Isn't that so, something? Yeah. Do you, do, you, do you keep your films at home? Do you have videotapes of the stuff you've done? Have you ever I, watched them? Uh, well, I have videotapes of all but about three. I just can't locate those. And no, I don't watch them um, because I don't like watching the videotapes. The, 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 uh, the picture is not as good as the film. Mm. And also, most of my pictures were made on widescreen which you cannot get on uh, videotape yeah, they, right they, at this moment. I think we'll have it in the near future. Yeah, they kind of sort of cut off the corners, and it's uh, it's and not the whole crop and film. Time, they crop it, and also you're seeing just uh, about really, uh, there's a third of the picture missing. So I get very upset when I see that, so I don't run it. I just wonder if you, when you do, if you do happen to watch a, a film of yours, whether you think... Boy, if I were to do this now, I would I would, would not quite do it that way. Do you kind of redirect it? Uh, no, I don't really feel that way. Because I just feel... Uh, uh, I'm usually surprised at how good the picture is. I usually have a much worse memory of, of the film than it actually is. And I look at a lot of my films, sometimes I can't help but see them, or I have to see them at a festival or something like that. And I'm always surprised at how well they hold up and, and how good they look. And uh, mostly, mostly, I wouldn't change the films that I've made. We have, no, no, what I would like, if, if this is okay with you, Richard Fleischer, because I want to talk about your father and about people that you have dealt with and, and all kinds of questions. I'd love to ask you, if you can stick around for a little bit, we have news coming up, and then could we talk some more after that? Would that be okay with you? I'd be delighted. Oh, I'm, I'm pleased. Great. The book is called uh, "Just What Just Tell Me When to Cry," a memoir by Richard Fleischer, who's done just uh, some outstanding things. And we'll talk more about that uh, right after we check the news and see what else is going on in this uh, troubled world of ours. Anyway, we're coming up to uh, 12:30 news. Retired now, Mr. Fleischer? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm happy to say, uh, <clears throat> I'm uh, developing a couple of projects and. Uh, I'm also producing an animated feature film based on my father's creation, Betty Boop. Oh, that's interesting. Let's talk about your father, Max Fleischer, because I remember back it was it was back in the '30s. Yeah, because uh, your father's nemesis, Walt Disney, came out with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. What, 1938 or 36? Was it somewhere in the '30s? Yeah, late '30s. And your father had uh, Gulliver's Travels. And your father had done quite a lot along the animation line, including uh, a, ro a rotoscope. Was that called it to to, to keep That's so right. that the, the 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 cartoons would not just flop all over the screen in a in a kind of a irregular kind of way, but would be their action would be smooth. Right. Yes. Yeah. Would you tell us about your father, Max Fleischer? Yes, he was uh, a pioneer in the uh, in, in the animation. He started, his career started by 1912. And 
he did invent the rotoscope, which changed animation completely, because up to that time it was, you know, very jerky motion to the cartoons. And he took a year and uh, in uh, developing this machine called a rotoscope, which gave cartoons very lifelike, human, smooth action. And they changed the look of cartoons. Uh, he started with a series called Out of the Inkwell with Coco the Clown. And it was a great novelty because because of the rotoscope, he developed a system where live action could be combined with cartoons, with animation. So his first series in 1914 was Out of the Inkwell with live action and cartoons combined. And nobody could use that for, for many, many years because he held the patents on that. That's interesting because, of course, later on, Walt Disney did that with what, Song of the South? I don't know what that was. Yeah, the first one he did that. Yeah, that's when my father's patents ran out. Huh. And uh, Walt used that, and a lot of people gave him the credit for developing this magical process. And Walt never really took any trouble to deny that. <laughs> but, uh, Which drove your father crazy. I know his... his uh, he was not happy about that. No, his feeling toward Walt Disney. I know we're 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 uh, we're very, we're very angry, and I can well understand how he feels. Here's a here's a guy who labored by himself and did all these great things, and this other Ginkhead comes along and takes credit for everything. Maybe Ginkhead is a little too no, strong. I think that's a little strong because Walt was a, a genius. But you know, my father developed, uh, created Betty Boop, and then he also brought to Popeye the sailor to the screen. And he invented the bouncing ball cartoons and the sing-along things. He was quite a, quite a great inventor and artist and had tremendous success with his films. But he's always in uh, competition with Walt Disney. They were very, very uh, bitter competitors. Now, what year, what year did your father die? Um... Well, let's see. I think it was about 1978. Yeah, the reason I, I was wondering is uh, whether he had lived long enough to see the the latest animated mixed with live action film. Uh, I always forget the name of that thing. Where the, the rabbit is in the title. Uh, 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 Who framed Roger Rabbit? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder yeah. whether whether you know what he would have thought of that. That was. It seemed to me that was about as, I, I was going to say it, it's about as far as you could go with that. But every time you say that, somebody comes up with something that goes just a little bit farther. That's true. Now, tell, tell me about your tribute then with Betty Boop to your father. Um, you said you were working on an animated oh, yeah. thing with well, Betty Boop now. I see, yeah. Now, uh, we're making a, uh, uh, an, a feature film, an animated feature film uh, with um, starring Betty Boop. So, but it's all animation. It's not mixed live action and animation. And, uh, that will be developed uh, and released, we hope, in about two years. I, I look forward to that. That was that's one of the first cartoon characters I can remember. Uh, and the song was that "I Want to Be Loved by You." Was there a relationship between "I Want to Be Loved by You" or just you and nobody else will do "Boop Boop a Doop"? Or maybe I guess that was just borrowed from the Betty Boop character and worked into the song. Well, uh, not really, because that song 
is a, at, at when it, when it was first sung was sung with a lot of boop boop a dooping in it, and uh, but Betty Boop actually never sang that song yet. It's always related to that character, and in our film, she's actually going to sing that song. So it's uh, it's you know it's a, it's Betty Boop was the first and the, and the only sexy female cartoon character. Yeah, that's true. There's yeah. I have a guy on a line from Newton, a man named uh, uh, Mark, who who uh, I'm told is a big fan of uh, of yours. Oh. Either yours or your father's is a big fan of Fleischer. Would you mind talking with him? Oh, I'd be delighted. Okay, Mark, you're on WBZ. Hi. Hi, Noam. Another great guest as usual. Thank you very much. Mr. Fleischer, I just wanted to mention to you that the other night, my seven-year-old daughter and I were watching a videotape of a cartoon of your father's made about 40, 50 years ago called Play Safe. And it, and it was about a little boy that dreams that he is conducting a train, and it used the rotoscope process. The trains look so real. And do you know, even after 50 years later, this cartoon reached across the screen and just enthralled my daughter? Oh, well, that's and, wonderful. I'm really happy to hear that. And then my 12-year-old and I really enjoyed the uh, watching also on TV, which I agree with you, this is not the place to see them, but we just, just love 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh. Well, thank you very much. Well, I just wanted to convey to you, Mr. Fleischer, that the the years, uh, the hours of enjoyment that you and your whole family have given us, and I, I really appreciate it. Hey, uh, thanks a lot. Uh, listen, you're more than welcome. I'm very flattered that you said that, and I take a great deal of pleasure in hearing that uh, our work has pleased some of the public. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sorry. I, I, I clipped the mark off a little too soon. But uh, no, I'm sure I've heard there are a whole lot of people who would like to be saying that. But I, I, could I throw some names at you and you t tell me what your impressions were? These are people that you have worked with through the years? Yeah, sure. Uh, for example, we'll try. Uh, okay. For, uh, well, well, Robert Mitchum, you had mentioned the fact that he went on a rampage at one point when you were when, when you had been called in to, to kind of clean up the ending to his kind of woman. Yeah. Uh, generally, uh, he that happened only when he was drinking. The rest of the time, was he a fairly decent guy? Oh, he was terrific, and is terrific. He's a wonderful guy and a tremendously underrated actor. He's a much, much better actor than he's ever been given credit for, and uh, he knows his craft very, very well. And he's a he's a pleasure to work with. Lots of fun. What about now, Kirk Douglas? Yeah. Uh, some of the things you wrote about him did not seem terribly flattering. Well, he's a very difficult actor to work with, and uh, he's got a lot of uh, lot of difficult problems. He has a tremendous ego, and that ego has to be stroked and fed uh, a lot. And uh, I found when I first started to work with him that he, he had great difficulty in getting comfortable in a, in a scene. And and we would keep playing around with it because he would say, I can't do the scene because I don't feel comfortable. Well, feeling comfortable is, is making actors feel comfortable is really a director's primary job. And uh, finally, I would keep staging things around and finally say, oh yeah, that's fine. I feel comfortable with that. Let's do it. 
and I was never sure what I had, what magic I had wrought that would make him suddenly feel that comfortable. And I finally figured it out, and I found that if uh, if I staged the scene where Kirk was in the center, facing the camera, and all the other actors had their backs to the camera, he felt very comfortable. So that was the magic. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, a thing be, be, called upstaging. Upstaging, that's right. You, you, you. Oh, oh, Orson Welles. Tell yeah. us about him, if you would, because you did two films with him. Yeah, I did two films with Orson. It's uh, well, you know, it's difficult when you enough for a director working with with a acknowledged great actor because you never know whether you're up to the to his uh, talent. But when you also work with a great actor who is also a great director, you've really got to be very careful because uh, it's, a, it's a challenge. And it was a real challenge working with Orson, but we got along extremely well. We became very good friends. And in the films I made with him, I was the director, he was the actor. And, uh, and, we, and we got along. There was just one incident with him in, in compulsion where uh, I knew that he was jealous of my directing the picture because he had been denied the privilege of directing by studios and producers because he was so profligate with time and money. They would, had no, no concept of what those things were. So finally they really stopped Orson from directing and let him act because then he didn't have control of the budget the way a director does. And you pointed out that uh, his first movie, uh, the one based on William Randolph first, was Citizen Kane, yeah. was such a masterpiece and he was so young at that time, but where do you go from that point that maybe he had peaked too early because he had, he had a lot of legal problems, I know, later on in life. There were, there were a couple of things I remember about him here. There was a, a, a theater in Cambridge called the Orson Welles Theater. And he came in one night, sat on the stage, and answered questions by, from people who were very disappointed because he, he stayed about three seconds, took off, and hardly, you know, hardly answered the questions. And one other thing, there was a bootleg commercial tape. Remember, he, he went through one period where he was doing a lot of voiceovers, yeah. uh, commercial things. This was some peas or something, canned peas. I forget what the product was. But there's, there's, you can hear the uh, dialogue between Orson Welles in the studio and on the talkback, the uh, producer, who was an English producer, I guess, doing these films. And Orson is just, he's, he's letting loose on this guy, something <laughs> fierce. Uh, no human being would read this, say this in this manner. You must be a nitwit. <laughs> and apparently you, you came across that kind of conduct. You, you write about that in your book where he, uh, was it assistant... Something well, director, something he goes after. No, it was a, uh, a our um, publicity man. On the oh, oh yeah, okay. And uh, boy, he really lit into him up and down and sideways, and tore him apart. And then, in you see, we were rehearsing a scene. He was doing a scene with Diane Barcy in the courtroom re in rehearsal when he caught sight of this guy coming on the stage. And he turned in the middle of the rehearsal and turned on this guy and really savaged him with words and insulted him and made this poor guy actually cry. And right in the middle of this tirade, 
he turned around and picked up the scene where he left off without losing a moment, without missing a word or a beat. It took us all by surprise that he suddenly turned into this other thing. So obviously what he was doing was giving us a performance. He was showing off. And uh, it was very effective, I must say. Very theatrical. Before I let you go, I got to ask you one one other story that you talk about. You you never did direct John Wayne, I know, because yeah. mainly because you had problems with the script, and it, you you mentioned the fact John Wayne was kind of even though he was friendly with you after that, uh, kind of gave it to you in a sense uh, some kind of a revenge tactic afterwards. If you could mention that also, the the, uh, the the scene at the beginning, you're talking about him being in a in a movie. Which is being held up in any way, if you could tell that, that's suitable for radio. I, 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 that's such a great story. I couldn't believe it when I was reading that. Well, it's absolutely true. It was the, actually, it was the first time I ever went on a movie set in Hollywood, and I was very impressed with the glamour of it all. It was a John Wayne movie that they were making at RKO. But uh, it was about 10 o'clock in the morning. And uh, they hadn't shot anything by that time. They were all waiting for John Wayne. And I was with a, a producer, my, my boss, actually. And he asked the production manager, what's holding up production here? And they said, well, uh, John Wayne hasn't had a bowel movement. <laughs> so, uh, uh, we, you know, that was my introduction, the glamour of Hollywood. Apparently, apparently he didn't do this at home. He had to come on the set, and well, he would go to the whatever the whatever thing was. He go to the trailer, or his his yeah. uh, his office there, his whatever, he, and uh, he he wasn't really ready to to he film until he had that bowel movement. He, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He couldn't. I guess I don't know. But uh, you see, to me, it was a demonstration of of power. That's an enormous <laughs> power when you can hold up a production for hours. And, and very expensive production for hours by peristalsis alone. <laughs> I thought I thought that was that such a lovely story. And the and the other thing now, because is, is at that time you're talking about a script which you did not like. Only well, was it never was never seen to be finished. Uh, that was it. They uh, yeah. they were working on a script and they got to a certain point and uh, didn't go anywhere at that point. And so you you kind of called yourself out of it. And yeah. Wayne seemed to never forgive you for that, or, or maybe I'm, I'm exaggerating a bit. No, no, you're not exaggerating at all. Uh, he never forgave me, and uh, I had never met John Wayne, but when I, when I uh, refused to do the picture, and uh, I met him finally quite by accident in Spain, where we were both making films. And uh, that was years later, mind you, and and we were introduced, uh, I certainly knew who he, who he was, but I couldn't imagine that he would know who I was, and he gave no indication of that until we sat down at dinner. And as we sat down, he turned to me and he said, so you're the fellow that didn't want to make that movie with me. <laughs> yeah. It really shocked me. I know, up to that point, you figured that he hadn't even remembered that. Oh, yeah, moment. it was just a face in the crowd. How could he remember my, me? He'd never seen me. I had seen him, but he had never seen me. And he, how would, why would he remember my name after the thousands of people he'd met and worked with? But uh, I had a reply to him. I said, I'm the fella 
that didn't want to make a bad John Wayne movie. And he thought that was very funny. And he said, you're right, I shouldn't have made that picture. And uh, we became, I thought, very good friends after that. We had yeah. dinner several times. And and what, we, now, what was the name of that movie, North? North, North to Alaska. North to Alaska. That's it runs right. on TV all the time. I, I have never looked at it. I, I'm... Have a block again. <laughs> okay. Hey, listen. I want to thank you all, an awful lot. We, we there's so much more to talk about, uh, but I won't. I won't keep you any longer. Stanley Kramer and uh, and uh, uh, the Xanax and uh, Dino De Laurentiis. You have some some fascinating stories about all of these people and many many more. And the book is uh, is a great joy. Richard Fleischer. Anybody who goes to the movies or cares at all about that. Uh, about the entertainment world, I think would be excited by just tell me when to cry. Thanks, thank you very, very much. Good luck on the Betty Boop. Well, thank you, Norman. I really appreciate uh, speaking with you. I hope we can do this again soon because I got eight million other questions I never got to. Well, please call me. I'll be delighted to talk to you anytime. Wonderful. Thank you. Have a good holiday. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. Yes, it is. I'm going to my grandfather's. Well, he's a lovely old man, probably about my age, and so I don't want to know. No, he's, was he about 80? Yeah, my, the 80-year-old's the 80, 80. Oh, the, that's right, he's a 80? Yeah. And no, that's really nice. If that, this is the kind of holiday where family should yeah. get together. My aunt, yeah. and I, I believe my mother's going to help the cooking, but if not, my aunt is... Uh, is, your mother, is your mother a good cook? Yes, my mother's a good cook. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Just... I don't eat a lot of things she does cook, but that doesn't mean she's not a good cook. Other people eat them. That uh, you have a you have a very select kind of yeah, appetite. Yeah. Imagine you're kind of a pain in the yeah. in the butt, probably. When it comes pasta to... and vegetables. That's about all I eat. <laughs> what is pasta and vegetables? Yeah, well, that's all right. That's all healthful stuff. That's true. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, you know, our phone number is two five four ten thirty. Why am I saying that suddenly? Why am I giving you the because Every, everyone's calling seems, now? They just want yeah. They oh. just want to hear you tell them have <laughs> happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, and they're going to hang up yeah. on you. I enjoyed, I enjoyed uh, that uh, Richard Fleischer. We should have probably talked to him for another hour or two, but I hate to impose upon these guys, you know. But he was, he's interesting. Uh, he's the uh, man who directed the Vikings. He did uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. We're talking about the competition his father, Max Fleischer, was an animator, yeah. had with Walt Disney. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea was produced by Walt Disney. So there was Max Fleischer's bitter enemy hiring his son, to do a very important movie that got some great ratings. Credible. I, I, as I was reading the book, I was looking up in one of these movie books, you know, they tell you the movies that are on television, how they rate them and plots. Mm -hmm. So many of his movies rate very, very high, three and a half, four stars, the whole thing. And yet, I don't think I'd, I'd really heard of him, Richard Fleischer. A little bit of the name, I think, when you mentioned Max Fleischer, I've seen the name on cartoons. Yeah. I spend most of my days eating pasta and vegetables and watching cartoons. And watching cartoons, I yeah. know, because you are young at heart. And fancy free. And a bubblehead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep the book. We'll have him on again. Why not? Yes, we will. No, I asked him. He said he would come back again. That'd be very nice. So he must have enjoyed your interviewing skills. He probably did. He probably, they all do. They all say, boy, what am I going to go on some little dink Boston station? And then they realize... How different that is. Yeah, the king of the night. King of Either the that or he felt really bad for you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, that's, uh, we have tonight, well, you'll, you'll be on with us for yes, the Swell Music Quiz. That's good. Okay, we'll do that. That's uh, this coming night at 11 o'clock, Thanksgiving night at 11. Uh, Friday night at midnight, we will have Fred Goss, who uh, publishes a thing called the Newsletter Association. 
And what that is, is it's a newsletter association publication. Exactly. There are tons of newsletters about every subject you can think of. And uh, he wraps it all up with that. Yeah. Because we, we get a publication also. There's a publication on museums, all odd kinds of museums. And that, that comes out quite often. I haven't seen that for a while. But no, I haven't either. I don't know what happened to that. Hmm. Maybe it doesn't exist. That. We got a few... Good we did, yeah. We we call several museums. Some there are some small museums that people have not heard of generally, that specialize in all kinds of offbeat kinds of stuff. Maybe like we put them out of business. Yeah, and they stop. They, they scratch you off the mailing list. Yeah, like a ketchup bottle museum. Sure. Uh, I made that up, but there are some that are that specialized. Well, I think we. I think you may have something there. If there is there's, one, a mar there's a market for everything. There have, is. You, have you figured that out? If you watch late night TV and every infomercial possible and every Every item is available. There oh, is don't get don't get me started. Oh. Don't get me started with Mike Levin. Mike know. Levy, I'm Levy, Mike Levy. Yeah, I think he, I think this guy needs some help psychologically. I think there's something wrong. I'm saying that he's probably making. I haven't a ton seen of a money. new one in so long. Everything I keep seeing with him on it, it was produced like last year. What you mean that computer can do all that? Wow, jeez, wow. That's very. That's, that's Mike Lee. Very doesn't good. Sound, doesn't sound like him. I would like to see you on an infomercial. <laughs> what, what could you sell? Anything. Think so. Anything, particularly sex. I made that up. I'd I like, just to, want, see, I I'd like to see you selling naughty nighties. <laughs> you go <call> lingerie. <laughs> Listen, go away. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, day. happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you tonight, eleven. At yes, Thanksgiving night, eleven. Dumb. Thanksgiving dinner when you're eating it. That you get the chance to have. Another piece, another, uh, and, uh, what is it? Another cup of coffee and another piece of pie. Oh, let's have another cup of coffee. That's right, and let's have another piece of pie. Another Just around pie. the corner, there's a rainbow in the sky. That was, yeah, it was one of the depression year things, which probably would fit now for many families. There's a rainbow in the sky, so let's have another cup of coffee and let's have another piece of pie. So the best things in life are free. The best things in life are free was another song, and there was also a song from the depression. Brother, can you spare a dime? Which was not quite so happy as the others. Okay. Not too. Yeah, that was such a. Oh, that was a rough song. Once I built a railroad and built a building, a skyscraper, and now it's they're all done. And so, brother, can you spare a dime? Such a tough song. That was a tough one. I think economically we're getting a little better day by day. Oh well, we're not anywhere near as bad as we were back in the oh, uh, Great God. Depression days. No, that was that that was unbelievably awful. Yeah. Um. I hate to tell you, but I missed the birthday game last night. Oh, 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 jeez. I thought you taped and collected every single one in your treasure trove. I have many, but uh, I, uh, can I ask you, did Jack Hart win again? No, he didn't. As a matter of fact, he didn't even do well. Oh. I think Mike Epstein, who was our producer yesterday, he won. Oh. I don't think he's won before. I think that was the first thing. So there were all kinds of upsets, and you missed them all, poor soul. Yeah, um... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, yes, but um, I've heard reference on a few of the birthday games of recent to someone by the name of Peter Casey. Is that an insider joke? I suppose it is. Peter Casey is the assistant program director here at WBZ, a very nice young man who I worked with at another radio station. He was just hired here not too long ago. He's a nice man and competent and quite good, and he's fun. And he also hires and is in charge of the producers. And so since we deal with the producers here a lot, and we had two of them on the game yesterday, 
Uh, we kid about Peter Casey a lot, but we like him. He's, we, we look upon him with great affection. And obviously you have a whole variety of producers now. It's not just like having uh, in the past where you just had Tony Nose, but I noticed, what kind of background does uh, the, the average producer have to have? To the average producer, producer, in order to make it here at WBC, first of all, you have to be uh, a chief executive officer at a major corporation. I knew I wouldn't get yeah. it. Yeah, you have to get uh, several medals of honor. <laughs> And that kind of stuff. Also, you have had to held a high political elective post, perhaps oh. a mayor of a large city, some sort, a number of things. No, I, I, I guess you have to you have to look like you know what you're doing, or and tell you there's a training period, obviously, mm. but uh, you have to have a you know a, a bright glint in your eye, and you have to be able to work for practically nothing <laughs> and give up the best hours of your life. Uh, no, they're, they're sharp people. We have some good producers here. I'm very proud of them. Yes. Um, oh, yeah, they are paid. Of course they're paid. Lavishly. You know how Westinghouse no, is. I was just making jokes there. This is a high-paying glamour field, this whole broadcasting thing. We all get big, big bucks. Yeah, plus on the side, you all... Uh, take apart alarm clocks and put them back together and uh, to make helicopters so you can fly over the Atlantic Ocean and make money growing mushrooms in your base Fred, and stuff. Fred, I'm trying to be serious with you, and you're making sport. You're trying to be serious? <laughs> well, I thought I was. Maybe maybe not. Anyway, let me wish you a very happy can Thanksgiving. You, can I be on the game tonight? Uh, can you, can you be on the game? I bet you. I bet maybe you can if you're not boring. You, you promise not to be boring. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn you over uh, to Mr. Evan and... Uh, they had a man with a uh, hatchet. He was chasing after a gobbler. And it was his kids on the fence all with their thumbs down. <laughs> okay. I, I, I somehow missed that cartoon, but the way you recreated it brought it to life anyway. I think yeah, it has to be visualized. Something you have to be there, I think, is the way people phrase it. Yeah, so. Well, I wonder if I could tell you another chapter on the castle. A chapter on the castle. Uh, you, that that would indicate that you already told us one chapter on the castle, and I don't remember that. So if you could recap well, that. Well, there's several chapters I told you. On the uh, castle. Now, what is the castle? Well, I'll, tell, I'll recap the whole thing. I'll just take a, uh, about 30 seconds or so. Okay, if you would just move your mouth a little, a little more open and stuff. Uh, sometimes it's a little hard to understand you. Oh, I'm sorry. I have a feeling you have what we used to call in broadcasting school a lazy lip. Yeah. You kind, right. of, you kind of talk like this and you hardly move your remorse. So sometimes it's hard to follow what you're saying. Okay, I'll okay. try. Okay. How is it now? Same as it was before. <laughs> exactly the same. <laughs> uh, See, uh, speak clearly and move, move your mouth to the point where it's embarrassing to whoever you're talking with face to face. Okay. Yeah, so well, that they're looking at you and saying, boy, look at that mouth just go. Wow. <laughs> and the, there are elocution lessons he can do. One is how now, brown cow. Yeah, or... Uh, and moo, meow, meow, me. Yeah, or I'll weather the weather, whatever the weather, whether I like it or not, is a big one. Uh-huh. And there's also old man Kelly has a pimple on his belly. His wife cut it off and made it into jelly. I, although I think that's what we used to jump rope to. I hope I don't. I hope that isn't the last thing I remember before I go into the next world. Okay, just move your mouth. Just open it and close it really nice, and okay. tell us recap the story you were telling about the castle. 
place. See, this man fell in love. He he was taking a trip across the Atlantic Ocean, and he met a woman. He fell in love, and they had an affair, and they landed in Europe. And she said she was going to be gone for just a little while. And he went off to a castle, and he's sitting in this castle for thirty years waiting. And he made a picture of her, a, a painting above the heath. And he's sitting there with a uh, cup, a chip cup. He's in tweeds. And there's a hunchback playing the organ, playing Bach on the organ. And after 30 years, she shows up. And she goes, has it been long? He goes, it was just a little while. But then he notices there's a guy with her. And they rip off their clothes and they make wild love on the on the carpet in front of him. And he's in shock. And he throws them out and he loses his mind. And he's sitting on the heath going, she'll be here in just a little while. She'll be here. And months go by and finally this this woman comes. And she's the new housekeeper. And he notices a resemblance between her and the painting. And after a while, she tells him that she's his daughter that was conceived aboard the ship. And she rips down the curtains like great expectation, and all the dust falls to the ground. And she takes him out into the garden, which she has restored. And she gives him sunglasses to protect his eyes. He's not used to the sun. And they sit there, but all is not bliss. For she knows the father is dying of cancer and only has a couple of months left to live. That's as far as I've gotten. I thought this was going to be a joke. Obviously, this is no no joke at all. No. No. What what is this? What was the shoot telling us? I I lost total track of the whole thing. I was geared for humor. I'm sorry. No, this is a story that you're writing? Yes, it's something I've been writing. I, I write it in chapters, and I've been telling you the chapters over the past. Oh, six I months. see. So this is a summation of the two of the chapters. And the, yes, I'm just re- reeling it off from the top of my head. I see. Okay, so one day we'll get a chance to see it in full detail, in some probably in book form. Maybe. Or just or just maybe off the Xerox machine or something. But actually, I have no talent. I see. <laughs> well, I'm. I wish you'd said that back at the beginning. We could have skipped this whole segment here. <laughs> hey, may I wish you a very happy Thanksgiving, big guy. Okay, you too. Okay, take care of yourself. Let's see. I think another call will go to Charlie, who's out in Framingham. Hi, Hello. Charlie. Happy Blessed Thanksgiving. Nice. I went tonight to the first uh, town to a temple, Temple Bathian. They had an ecumenical service in Framingham. Yeah? And, well, and that's I, nice. And I know somebody's missed your wife, and I knew her and your wife, and, and Jack Kennedy. I met Jack Kennedy twice. Son of a gun, you already gotten around, big guy. Yeah, and guess what? I'm going to run for House of the through a community town meeting in Selectman, first oh, time blind. Are you going to do all of those things? Yep. You're going to run for what, three, Public. four offices? No, four. You're running for four town offices? Town meeting, House of the school committee in Selectman, Republican. Yeah, I don't think you can be a Selectman and a school committee person at the same yep. time. I don't believe so. Well, I don't know. They give me the papers. They're giving what? They gave me the papers to run. Well, I know that, but I think then when you file, then comes the legal challenges. What about town meetings? What about two offices? Well, I don't know. Aren't you, aren't you a moderator? Yes, I am. I am. Can a I run moderator. a moderator? You a town can. meeting or just one? No, you can't. How can you be a town meeting member and a moderator? 
Well, kind of the moderator in Birmingham, he's a town meeting member, I think. No, he's not. How no, can he's he be? not, you're right. No, a town meeting oh, members. Right. No, I have also, also, I live in a small town. We don't have town meeting members. Anybody in the town who's a registered voter in our town can vote. And oh. so how can you how can you sit there debating things if you're also the moderator? True. That, that doesn't make think. sense. True. Good point. Yep. Good, point. Okay. Good point. Good in point. In other words, there's, there's four so Democrats on the block, and I want to run Republican. Oh, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. In Framingham, you run as a Republican, a Democrat for these offices? Yep. And the, That's we, crazy. Well, no, it isn't. You know why? We have nonpartisan. Wait a minute. If you have non-partisan, wait, wait a minute. Hold on a minute. Sorry. If, if it's non-partisan, how can, wait you know, a minute. Well, let, me, let me ask the oh. question, okay? okay. Can, can you hold back just yes, a little sir. bit? Yeah. Just hold back. Okay. That's it. Just sit down, relax. Okay. Close your mouth a little bit. <laughs> if you're running as a, a non-partisan election, how can you how can you talk Republican no, or no, Democrat? You don't. I'll tell you, you don't thought it used to be uh, the primary, you know, Democrat, Republican, they changed it. See, the primary, you can vote, you can vote, you can run either way. Farming used to be like say, the state election. If it's nonpartisan, why would you vote? Oh, I can't stand talking with him. Jim Brown of Grand Prairie, Texas, is telling us about his itchy chafing problem. There was itching. Eh? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm well. well I've been a long time waiting to talk to you. I'm well. I'm glad you hung on in there, and I appreciate you. Uh, and, and I apologize for the long wait. That's not your fault. <laughs> okay, thank you. What can I do for you, Gloria? I just wanted to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Well, I, I wish you the same. You got a big day planned? Um, met to met. Yeah, not to kind of come see, come say. Eh? Uh, yeah, you going to spend it with your family? Uh, I talked to you a few weeks ago. My husband died about the same time as your wife did. Oh, he died a couple of, she, he died a couple of years ago? Yeah, he did. In, in Around this time of the year? Yeah. Uh, your wife died. In she died November 9th, 1991, just two two years ago this month. Yeah, you know. I died uh, in October of 91. Really? Yeah. How are you holding up? I'm doing well. Yeah? You have you have good moments and bad moments? Oh, big time. Big time. Now, what do you mean big time? Oh, I, you go through a lot of emotions, I think. Oh, you sure do. You sure do. I guess I don't think you ever get over it totally. I think it's it's just always there, uh, and it, it probably maybe it eases after a while. I don't know. I I found it hasn't even eased after two years. I think yeah. it's still it's still as uh, difficult as it was. Maybe in some cases even more so. Did you and your husband have a good relationship? Oh, we did. We did. How long were you married? Um, eighteen and a half years. Yeah. You have children? No. Yeah, because well, it makes it worse. But I think it does. Yeah, I think if you had children to, you know, put their arms around you and sort of uh, make you feel a little bit better. So without children, it's a little tougher. What do you do, What do you do now? Do you do you, Do you work? Oh yeah. Well, that helps then. Then you. Oh, I have to. Yeah. I wasn't born poor and I had. No, I was born poor and I had out. You know. Yeah. Well, even even then, I think uh, when you run into a tragedy like you run into, it just makes it a lot easier if you have. If you got get to work and do something, try to keep your mind occupied with other things, hanging around the house and stuff, I think would just be awful. I know. Uh, you sound like a nice person. Are you a nice person, Glory? I am indeed. You find do you, the guys call you now? They now no. that they know you're available. Yeah, that's probably one of the most difficult things. How to get back um, into the quote unquote dating scene? Yeah, it's a lot easier for guys to do that than oh, for yeah. women. 
But are there guys that, that you know are, are available and that uh, would you call them? No. Why not? I don't know, Norm. There's no reason why not to. They, they might be very flattered to hear from you. Invite, just invite them out, say, hey, let's, uh, you know what let's like talk a little bit. Let's have a you drink know what together. I so much, and I don't know if you miss this, or what, um, the phone call at work, or I'm just going off golfing, or, you know, I'm going to Joe. Or, or somebody to have at home that you could talk about when something nice happens. Yeah. You want to say, hey. day was. That's right. I know it. Yes, I miss that, too. It's big time. Uh, no, I understand. I understand that part. But, I don't mean to depress you, but it, it's realistic. No, you're not depressing me. We're both in exactly the same boat, so I know I know what you're talking about. But I just I wondered from a woman's viewpoint, because you, you sound young, too. Are you in your 40s? Yes. Okay, so you're, you're probably very desirable, and probably a lot of guys would and like to meet you. Adorable, you know. Are you early? Oh, I'm getting, exci I'm getting excited, Gloria. I knew you would. Oh, gee, and we're in the same but boat. you know what's very difficult? Yeah? I think it's far more easy for a man to meet another oh, woman. Oh, no, it is, it is, but I'm I'm thinking that uh, it may not be all that difficult for a woman if she knows how to go about it. Well, what am I going to do? The bar scene? Thank you very no, much. No, 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 I'm not talking the bar scene, but are there are there guys you work with or people that you, you no. deal with and every day you know or somebody? What? I have a, I have a, I don't, I wouldn't um, go out with somebody I work with. I've had that, I've worked for my company almost 25 years, and I just have this thing that I would never do it. I never did it before I was married. Yeah. What kind of work do you do? Um, I work in marketing, working yeah. in customer service. Yeah. But so, so it's you don't very, very, very difficult to meet somebody. And you know what I'd like more than anything in my life is someone to call to say, how's your day? Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. Again, we we have no children to do that. See, I have I have a couple of grown children, and we are in communication with each other all the time. And you're so that very, really helps. Very very fortunate. I am. I am. You have to thank you. Oh, I am. I I really am. I'm very grateful for that. So that helps a lot. But you you want to have somebody you can talk to. You say after you have a day, and you want to say, hey, you know what happened today? You you want to talk to somebody about that? I, Not I, only that, you know what? I want somebody to share. Well, how, how are we, we going to get you to meet guys? I don't know. You're going to have to help me. Okay, I don't know quite how to do that. Uh, if you, do you belong to it, you have, you have a special hobbies or some place where they can be, uh, you know, meetings of people with similar hobbies, some kind of clubs or church groups or some, some kind of social activities within your town or some place where people hang out? Yeah, I mean, because there got to be places besides uh, but, the, the bars. Well, I'm just just saying uh, on a talk show a whole lot, it's very, very difficult to meet someone. I'd love to go out to dinner with someone. I'd love to go to a movie. I'd like to take a walk on a beach. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really tough for guys, too, in, in many, many ways. I don't know. There seem to be the guys here and the, the women there. And uh, each would like to meet each other, and they're probably couples that would go great together. And yet the problem about really getting together and meeting and finding these people is, is really tough. I don't know how you do that. I mean, I don't want a long-term relationship or anything well, like maybe that. It, I don't want to hop in the sack or anything like that. I'd be realistic. 
Well, I mean, those th you can't really predict those things. They they Thank just you. come. I mean, you maybe you do want to hop in a sack and meet somebody you like, or maybe you do want a long term relationship with some somebody you like. But at the moment, all you want is just somebody to talk with. Yeah. It might develop into any of exactly. those things. I'm sitting here talking like I know what I'm talking about, Gloria, and I'm not yeah, sure but I do. Your daughters aren't there all the time either. No, no, neither one lives at home, actually. No, that's true. But I've listened to you all week long. Yeah. In fact. Has that been like an elixir? Like, a, how I could say, has it been wonderful? <laughs> you no, no. All week long I've listened to you because I knew you, Bob Raleigh was awesome, gone. So I wake up in the night and I listened. And I listened to the, oh, I don't last night. Yeah, is is this the holiday kind of tough for you? The fact that it's Thanksgiving. Oh, big time, big time. When you say big time, you mean awful. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I wish if you. But there's nobody that. There's nothing that can change that. What happened happened, and it happened to no, you. No, 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 no. That no, that's true. But you don't. You can't. Obviously, you can't change that. But what you do is try to make life oh, a I little do. sweeter by doing other things. Oh, you know what I did tonight? Yeah. Um, I bought a timeshare in Aruba. Hey, that's pretty good. Well, uh, friends you? invited me more times before my husband died, and I went there once. I loved it so much about a timeshare. So now you're going to go to Aruba. No, but okay. I met a priest there. Or we met a priest there. I mean, girlfriend. Yeah. He's like a breath of fresh air. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's kind of nice as a friend, but maybe you want somebody just a oh, little I know it. beyond I know that. More than that. Yeah. I'm an intelligent person. Yeah, and you you sound like you're incredibly attractive. Oh, I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, listen. And I'm humble, too, you know. You're humble and modest. Hey, would you call me from time to time? Let me know how you're doing. We'll, 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 we'll share notes. Well, what I want you to do sometimes, because I've been listening all week long. Yeah. The stupid birthday games or the stupid games that I've been... I lied in my bed all night long and saying it was 72. None of them got it. Or you whatever, you, you Well, would you like to play the non-birthday game with us today? I would love to. Okay, I tell you what, I want to turn you over to Mr. Evan. Okay? Mr. Evan? Yeah, you can call him, sir? You, no, you don't. No, no, just call him Mr. Evan. And uh, he's a young guy. And uh, if he sounds good to you, maybe you can flirt with him. Oh, okay. Okay, here he is, and, and uh, he'll, he'll tell you whether or not we're filled up for the non-birthday game or whatever. Meantime, we'll go to... Uh, Danny and Revere. Hi, Danny. Hi, Norman. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving and to you, too. I really felt bad for your last caller there. Gloria. You know, there are a lot of people in that position, both male and female, and uh, not only people whose spouses have died, but people who never married, say young people even, and, they, and they're probably very decent people and like to meet somebody. It's, it's very hard to, apparently from what I gather, it's very hard to meet people. Well, I've been married 19 years. Hey, that's great. I have two wonderful children and a wonderful wife. Good. Anyway, when I was in high school, Gloria made me think of it. I, I went with a girl named Gloria at that time, and it was around Christmas time, and of course I had this mad crush for her. Yeah. And uh, we used to sing a Dusty Fidelis. One of the, you know, Oh, Come, O Ye Faithful. Christmas right. Christmas Carol the part yes. where it says, Gloria, Gloria, and Chelsea Stale. And, of course, I emphasized the Gloria. The teacher stopped us, and she said, I know you're going with a girl, but you don't have to emphasize it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, Norm, the reason I called, I'd like to tell you a Thanksgiving story that happened in my life. 
Lovely. Go ahead. Hope it won't bore you, but it was a very important part of my life. Uh, I'm originally from Wisconsin, mm. and so anyone who is listening from Wisconsin, hello. But uh, hey, back in 1957, I was going to school down in Janesville, a school for the blind, and uh, James, had, Janesville, Wisconsin. Yeah, obviously. right. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, I did not have a very happy childhood. At the beginning, my folks divorced early, and I was in orphanage for a while in a foster home. And I started school there, and the only time I would go home would be Christmas and summer, those first few years. And uh, so in 1957, I was 12 years old, and uh, I was planning to spend Thanksgiving at the school. Uh, there was, a, you know, not a lot, but a few of us who had to stay <clears throat> because my folks lived like, you know, 200 miles away. Yes. Well, Thanksgiving, uh, oh, I think it was Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, uh, I was listening to the radio. You mem do you remember Queen for a Day with uh, Jack Bailey? I certainly yeah, do. Well, I, w I was listening to that. And um, all of a sudden, uh, my brother told us, Okay, my twin brother came up and told me that uh, her dad was there, my stepdad. And uh, I didn't believe him, of course. I thought he was just kidding because, you know, we'd, we'd pull little jokes on each other once in a while. And uh, so he said, no, really. So uh, I went down to the main entrance of the school. There was a big bench, that, uh, big oak bench. I went down there, and sure enough, he was there. And uh, he used to drive... Uh, truck for a cherry company, uh, you know, produce thing. And he said, I came to pick you up to come home for Thanksgiving. And um, mm. he, <clears throat> we came home, of course, my mother had no idea this, this was happening. He, he didn't tell her that he was going to do this. And so we were riding in this big truck, and we were riding along, and he said, now when I say cops, one of you duck down, because there's only supposed to be two in the, in the, in the front seat. And there was, you know, of course, three of us. And, you know, that was kind of, you know, kind of fun to do that. You know, you'd say the, the, there's a cop coming. So I would duck down or my brother would, you know. Yeah. And we were very small, so he would have never seen through the cab anyway. So we got home and my dad said, no, you duck down. And uh, so we both scrooched down on the floor, you know, and, and my brother, one of my other brothers came out. And so he called my mother he told him to call my mother out on the porch, and she comes out on the back porch. We lived in a farmhouse, you know, uh, didn't do any farming, but a, a big farm, you know. Right. And um, she comes out, and she's a little tiny thing. She's still living. My dad, stepdad died about 1990. But uh, she's, she was out there, and it's very cold out there at that time of the year in Wisconsin. You know, it was like maybe 20 degrees or something like that. And she's standing out there. He said, I brought a surprise for you. And she said, oh, my God, not another turkey. I already got an 18-pound turkey. I don't need to know it's not a turkey. She, he said, you got to guess. And, you know, she's trying to guess. And she said, I'm getting cold standing out here. And I could hear her shivering, you know. So I raised my head, and, and you know, because I felt so bad for her. And she flung the cab door open and picked me up in, in her arms and carried me in the house. And, um, you know, it was kind of a That's nice. thing to remember, you know. And then yeah. my older brother came home from high school. And she had to stand behind the door, and she was talking to her best girlfriend, and he comes in, and she says, well, close the door, won't you? You know, so he 
closes the door and he sees us both standing there behind the door and his eyes got as big as saucers. You know? So, I mean, you know, that when Thanksgiving comes, I always think of that. Yeah, that's, so, that's really nice. That's what, well, now, what's brought you out to this area from Wisconsin? Well, I, I moved out here because um, I had a job with the IRS for a while, and for about a month or so. Um, I worked, and it just didn't work out. And, and now i got a better job. I work at uh, Perkins. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm in, great. I inspect the brailers out there, and I really love the, uh, the job, and I really like the people I work with. And uh, I, I must say I really have a, a happy life. Oh, that's nice. I take the subways and the buses every day, and and uh, you know I'm, I'm making. You go from Revere to uh, Watertown. To I take two buses and three subways. So you're able to go by yourself, even oh, yeah. when you're sightless. Mm -hmm. You're okay, Danny. Well, you get a lot of help along the way. Although I know my way, but I mean, you know, you get to know people every right. day that can help. And is your is your wife is your wife sighted? Yeah, mm -hmm. she works uh, at Boston College. Oh, okay, and, you, and your children are too. Were you were you blind when you married? Oh yes. Okay. Yeah, I I was uh, blind all my life, you know. Um, but anyway, I I hope you didn't mind. Me. I hope I didn't bore you with it. No, you didn't bore me at all, Danny. And I I hope you and your family and your what, what do you have? Two uh, girls, boys. No, two boys. I hope I hope your whole family has a great yeah. Thanksgiving day. We're just I wish staying home relaxing, you know. That's, that's the way. The, like that way. That's the way to do it. Well, Norm. Anyway, just uh, keep up the good work. I, I will. I, I'm sorry to say I missed your interview. I I just caught the tail end of it. I was doing some something else, and with the the director there, I enjoy that kind of thing. And I, I really felt. Yeah, it was kind of fun. Yeah, I, one one other interview that I was kind of excited about was uh, Steve Allen. We talked with him yesterday, and he just opened up. He was lovely. We'll do a lot more of these things. So whenever you get a chance to tune in, that would be well, okay. I, I listen to. His uh, quite a bit because I really enjoy you. Well, I I've, I've talked to you before. I know it. I I I, I remember that, and I appreciate that. And a happy Thanksgiving, and thanks for calling, okay, Danny. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Um. All right. Uh, I've been waiting so long, but I had to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. I wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. I've talked to you through the years. I know you have, and I and only I only like once or twice a year. Well, I wish you the very best. And I have your picture and. Like you say, I get so excited. <laughs> really? Hey, that's too much. I'm like, I must call Norm if I have to wait all night. Well, I thank because you very much. You sent me a nice picture, and you always sent me a little note with it. And uh, you, you got big plans for this coming day? Well, no, actually, no. I've been sick. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I had pneumonia. Oh, you feeling any better now? Oh, yes, yeah. Good. But, uh... I don't know how much I'm going to be able to eat, but uh, I'm going to try. Okay, now, will you be spending it just alone, you mean? Well, I'm going to stay home because I had to go back to the doctor, and he suggests I just stay at home and rest and just eat what I can, and so I won't do it with my family. But Well, I, I, I but, hope. But they're going with well, my other part of the family, and naturally they want me to go, and I said, oh, no, the doctor suggests I just stay home and rest and try and eat what I can. Well, maybe they'll come by later on and visit with you anyway. Oh, that would be nice, though. But yeah, that would be nice. And then maybe you can kind of aim for Christmas when you can make it up then. Oh, yeah. I plan on that. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. Actually, that's I just good. wanted to call you and wish you the best. And thanks a lot. I, I wish I you the same. I always thank you, and I'm glad you're on this week. Hey, thanks a million. The best to you, Janet, and a happy Thanksgiving, even if you spend it alone. I hope it. I hope it's a, de a good day for you. And you can send me a letter anytime. Okay. Bye.
But I'm probably too old for you, though. No, you're not too old for me. Send me a letter, okay, so I can, I can, I'll be happy to respond. All right. Thank you, Norm. Thank you, Janet. Good holidays. Thank you. Same to you. She's okay. Is it Plummer now? Um, yeah, I guess so, but I almost hate to change my name, Norm, because I was kind of calling about Maria's call, and I was going to tell her how to cook a Cornish game hen. Oh, okay. Um, what she wants to do, it depends if she wants to split them or stuff them. Now, to split them takes a lot quicker, and she wants to put her oven on broil and cook them like six to eight inches away from the heat, away, away from the flame for about ten minutes. Okay, and then she wants to make a baste up with, I use apricot preserve, and I mix it with like a quarter cup of water to, to loosen it up a little bit. Mm. Heat that on the stove so it you know, breaks up. You want to thin it out a little bit. Then put it in the oven at about 350, and you don't want to overcook them. It's going to take about 45 minutes. You want to leave them in the broiler for about 10 minutes just to, so they start to get crispy so you, see, you keep all the juices in them. And then cook them for about a half an hour and then start baste them for the remainder of time, maybe 40, uh, 50 minutes to no more than an hour. And they'll come out molto bene. Sounds great. Yeah, Sounds and, then they, nice. and, and the best thing you do is you get some wild rice, and you have not just plain old rice, but wild rice with them because it's a Cornish game, and it's kind of like a outdoorsy type meal. Yeah, well, now what's the difference between wild rice and regular rice? It's the long green rice, isn't it? It's uh, different, oh. different colors. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, I, it's richer. I thought that that must be a funny joke there. So I'll see. I know. I, I blew Wild it. rice is... Uh, no, I can't think of the joke. Otherwise, I would have thrown it in. Anyway, are you cooking Thanksgiving dinner for your family? I'm working. You work now, as a, not as a baker, as a cook, you mean? As a plumber. <laughs> no, as a plumber. Now, you're not working on Thanksgiving Day as a plumber. Sure I am. Really? Yeah, what I'm going to do is... Um, we have kind of a skeleton crew going, so I'm going to go in. Um, we're going to have dinner in um, my in-laws and grand grandparent in-laws, I guess you'd say it or something. And um, I'm going to go to work about, you know, after dinner, and then I'll work about eight at night. What is it now? Is that making the rounds of people who call in with plumbing problems? Oh, are you kidding me? That's a big day for us. I would guess so. I, I never pours even... it, Everybody pours the grease down the kitchen sink? Oh, yeah. I, I never thought anybody would... Uh would expect they were going to get a plumber to call on them on Thanksgiving. That's the company I work for. You know, you're guaranteeing this. Actually, you know, I like that kind of thing. That's a nicer time because you show up and people aren't, they're more appreciative. I mean, I'm not saying people are bad. I meet so many nice people. You know, every hundred people I meet, I get one jerk. But um, Not a bad set of odds. It, it really is. Most people, and, and even when someone's kind of angry when I show up, I usually can pacify them and I'm their friend by the time I leave. But, um, you know, I, I like that. I, I work weekends all the time for the same reason. People are amazed that I'll show up at their house on 11 o'clock at night on a Sunday, you know? I would I would be amazed. You know? But yeah. I mean, then, Especially you know, since I haven't called you, Joe, so get out of here. You can call me anytime you want, you know. Yeah, that. well, oh, no, I was, I was making <laughs> bad jokes there, Joe. Did, did you ever do, no, did you ever do something stupid? I really got to confess. To I never did anything stupid in my entire life. No, everything I did was calculated to be intelligent. <laughs> And smooth. And then you screwed of it up. Course I, of course I did it. About every other minute I do something really stupid. I'm, I'm driving home tonight, and I, it was kind of late. I had a, a late job until 12.30. And I was in Saugus, and it's um, it's the North Riviera. And, uh, yes. I'm driving along, and people are flashing their headlights at me. So I'm saying, up the speed trap coming. I look down, my headlights are on, all the lights are on on my dashboard. I'm driving along, and people are flashing their lights, flashing their lights. 
So I'm, I'm slowing well below the speed limit, waiting for the speed trap, because this is the holiday weekend and everything else. You know, the dummy here didn't have his headlights on. You didn't have your headlights yeah, on? Yeah, I thought they were, but they weren't. The, the, the uh. switch wasn't pulled all the way. Uh. And when I glanced down, it looked like it was out all the way. I felt like such dope, and I had to admit it to 38 states right now. Yeah, now, do you feel better? I feel a lot better. Oh, that's I good. Sleep. <laughs> yeah, just don't do that again, Joe, because that is really so stupid. I can't believe how stupid. Am I, I, am, I, I, am, I, am I overreacting? I was actually starting to yell at people saying, you know, where's, where's the cop I'm waiting for? You know? yeah, <laughs> and I'm yeah. looking and I'm looking for speed limit signs and I'm such a dummy. Yeah, there were there were a lot of police cars out there. In fact, there was hardly any other cars, though. I, I found the traffic much less... Uh, much less active than normally oh, when I drive in. It was nice driving tonight. Yeah, I thought it was very, very quiet. Was it, did you see the snow? We had a little bit up where I live, yeah. a little sort of icy mostly, more than snow. Yeah. I think a little further north or maybe west, they might have had some snow. I was up in your neck of the woods tonight. It was almost like a, it was turned into a white Christmas there for a second. It actually kind of stuck for a few minutes and then it kind of melted. Oh, yeah. You know, by the time I left, I think that that had changed. Yeah. I got I got to give um, uh, Middleton credit for what a nice downtown that is down there. Yeah, they've. I, I think it's beautiful. The town has uh, really done a whole lot of interesting things. We put a lot of our wires and stuff underground, and so you don't. Know, street you, lights. Uh, we have yeah, kind of nice street the lights, lamp. and and they're not wires that are going across the road and all that. Plus, we put new sidewalks in some with the old bricks. Yep. And a whole downtown area. That's it's really quite I really like that a lot. It's I pretty kinda, nice. I kinda pulled over up there and I had my coffee that I grabbed and sat and looked at it. I was like, you know, I wish Malden looked like that. It, it really did look nice. Well, Chris Malden is he's a real city. You well, got real stores and everything in Malden. What more do you want? Well you guys have a uh, the what's the name of that restaurant there? The Parker House? Oh George Giorgio's is in the center. No, we have uh, uh, we have a number of uh, Angelica's. We have the Daniel Fuller House. Daniel Fuller House. That's the one I'm thinking yeah, about. That's, yeah, that's yeah. No, that's we a, that's a real place. No, that it really is. As a matter of fact, we have a whole lot of stores now that we never had before. We even have travel agents in town. I and, think you have a Dunkin' Donuts and florist shops. Yes, have we have. A, yeah, we do. I mean, we just we're, real stuff up we're, there. We're getting we're getting to have real stuff. But but you, I'll, I'll tell you, you really. It, yeah, I know you must have some kind of hand in it because you're a big shot up there. But I am. I'm a big deal. <laughs> I am. I'm. Uh, I'm. Um, I'm Mr. Big Deal. But I'll, I'll be serious. It really. I was. I was. I. I never. No, I never been up there until like just recently. Yeah, hardly right. anybody has been there. Or if they've been there, they don't know because they just go through, and and they're never quite sure whether they they've been there or not. Well, I think everybody drives through either coming from Danvers, going to North Andover, or something like That's that. That's right. You know? Yeah, we get a lot of the Lawrence folk coming down. Our folks from Salem, New Hampshire, who live in, you know, like a deprived area like New Hampshire, coming down. <laughs> But I, I had to call you for my recipe, and I, I, I well, that was the, nice. I think uh, I think Maria will be very pleased to hear that. It, it comes out really good. You can use any kind of preserve you want, but don't buy a cheap one. That's okay. Great. That's how it comes out real good. Get something like the rinds and stuff in it. Yeah, and it comes out really yummy. Oh, bad. I, bad. I, <laughs> I dropped a line to you tonight. You'll get it shortly. I and can I ask you one favor? Sure. I'm because uh, I called you tonight. I don't want to call tomorrow night. Well, you can if you want. Can I really? Sure. Because I was going to ask your um. A newsletter guy, if there was a newsletter on ice fishing, I've never heard of one. Okay, the newsletter guy, by the way, will will, will not be on with us till. Uh, that's tomorrow. That's uh, when? That's Saturday, Friday night, Saturday morning. So that's kind of your like your regular. Oh, night. oh, that is tomorrow. That isn't it? That's right, because today is Thanksgiving. Yeah, tonight is the music thing, starting at eleven o'clock. The swell music quiz. I wish you'd make up your mind. 
Yeah, that's right. No, because I, I lose you lose track of days when you work overnight. You know, it's uh, you never can figure out what day it is. But it is now Thursday, so Friday or Saturday. Uh, no, no, you know, Friday, tonight, Thursday, Friday morning, Swell Music with Friday night, Saturday morning at midnight, Fred Goss of the Newsletter Association, yes. And you're more than welcome to call him, sure. Can I? Of course. Because that's kind of like your regular night, and I don't want to be too pushy. Oh, you're not pushy. Come on, no, as long as you, you know, as long as you're bright and intelligent, say witty, provocative things. I wanted to, I wanted to call up and be stupid. Oh, then, then they better call somebody else. <laughs> no, I'm just quickly, speaking of being stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, when Bob O'Neill used to call you, my little dash hound used to growl at him all the time. Oh, yeah. That's and, Robert from Everett for people who don't know who Bob O'Neill was. Um, or is. And we just recently adopted a new dog. We we had to put uh, my little dash hound up for adoption because oh, yeah. he would go after my daughter. Oh, it's, my. It's kind of good because my mother-in-law took him, so we get to see him all the time. Oh, that's good. What kind of a dog do you have now? Uh, it's a big difference. Um, it's a Rottweiler Doberman Cross. Oh, that sounds nice. He, he's 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 a gentle giant. He's great. He's um about four months old, and he's in the fifty pound plus range right now. He's a big boy. Mm. But um, when Bob was on the other night, you were arguing with him. Yes. Rocky started growling. Oh, really? <laughs> His lip curled yeah, back. Yeah, maybe he was growling at me. I don't know. I'm assuming he's growling no, at the other guy. No, because he's, he's he's laying on the floor right now. We listen to the show together at night when I come home. And he's not growling now. No, but he's sleeping. He's, he's, he's <laughs> okay. unconscious right now. Okay. Hey, talk to you Friday or okay. Saturday, whatever night. I I'm will. I'll call. About. Okay, Joe. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, wanting to say that a lot of people tend to forget that uh, Southerners of 100, 200 years ago didn't frequently associate with slaves. And that uh, the language, uh, the... Um, the accents are primarily a tradition of uh, Scottish and Welsh and Elizabethan English. Um, well, that's where the southern accent comes from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus a lot of French and Spanish thrown in. Uh. Um, uh, I, I imagine that uh, it's probably uh, more closely resembling something uh, you might find in, in northern areas like Minnesota, um, Canada. Uh, there aren't too many people who seem to speak like Northeasterners. North um, I'm not really sure why that is. Now, even well, even here in the Northeast, there are, uh, there are lots of different accents. We always talk about the New England accent, but there is not any one New England accent. That, there are a lot of different dialects. Uh, well, yeah, around Boston, it's different than... Uh, Say a country New England accent, yeah. and in the western or down part, east Maine or well, that's right. Vermont. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, the the country kind, of Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont is different. And in fact, even within those states, there are subtle differences. Western Massachusetts and Connecticut are, have the same accent, which is very much like upstate New York, and which is not at all like uh, the the Greater Boston accent, and not at all like Brooklynese. No, they as a matter of fact, the Western Massachusetts and Connecticut. Uh, really has no accent at all. That's about as accent-free as you can get. It's very much like the Midwest. That. Yeah, yeah. Midwest, upstate New York, although parts of upstate New York have some funny accents. Yeah, it could be that uh, what's commonly uh, associated is, is Charlestown area and Boston area accents. Well, the, the, yeah, the Boston area, you have, you have the people who say, uh, let me see, see if I can imitate that. I, I live in Dorchester. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, call me in the morning, and and uh, okay. maybe we'll, maybe we'll go to the the show or something. You know, they talk that way. And out in the country, which is the accent that I really I really love, it's uh, it'll sound like Mon Park Cattle if you remember that series. Uh, let's see. I understand the Thanksgiving Day. I hope it ain't too cold because we get lots of folks coming in from all over the area, you know. They talk more like that, which certainly is not Dorchester, Dorchester which is that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm putting on such a great show here, Robert, and you don't sound at all impressed. Well, yeah, I, I wanted to point out that you can find a lot of our pronunciations in areas of the British Isles as well. Um, and I mean the lack of pronouncing R's. Well, or... they actually do pronounce their R's in certain areas. Oh, oh I see. I yeah. see. Well, uh, we don't. We don't believe in that. We 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 believe putting R's where where they don't exist. Yeah, I just I basically probably wanted wanted to address uh, one one caller's uh, question. Well, I appreciate that, yeah. and I thank you very much, Robert. Hope you have a great day. Yeah, you too. Goodbye. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Uh, I thought I thought I was terribly amusing with those accents. Did you have a feeling he didn't think so at all? Oh, that's so humiliating. Just like a lot of the women I used to date. How come you don't appreciate how humorous I am, Mary? Anyway, this is Joe in Quincy. Hi, Joe. You're on WBZ. Uh-oh. Hello? Yes, Joe. You're on WBZ. Oh, listen, Norman. This is Norman. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I was reading in the... You know, in the Smithsonian Magazine, I send a rate of friends to the museum. I got a copy of the diary. During the time of Washington, Louis XVI visited him. He was then Crown Prince of France. He wasn't king yet. And in his diary, he spoke of his visit at Washington, where the people there took such pride in their British accents. Mm. Meanwhile, he observed in his diary, which is in the French Museum in Paris, that he noticed that the children that were being raised by Negro slaves, and that they were mimicking the Negro draw, the white children. Yes. So to me, at that time, people took great pride in their British accents. And I have to assume that the accents comes from the nannies, as they prefer to them, the Negro woman who raised the white children. Well, now, wait a minute. You're talking about the South? You're talking about I'm talking the... about the Southern states. Oh, and, and in the South, they, they, were, they prided themselves on their British accents? Oh, yes. Yeah? I thought that was only, like, up here on Beacon Hill. No, or... Washington put a great emphasis. Jefferson, Adams, John Quincy Adams. I mean, they were ostracized. I mean, they used to have people coming in from England just to correct their accents. Nay and yay, you know what I mean? They never say yes or no, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there was a common knowledge amongst the common people, but you're above the people when you said nay for no and yay for yes. Well, there's, I think there's still a feeling, certainly, uh, in many places, uh, certainly here in New England, that there's something cultural, cultured about the British accent, and some people try to affect it. As a result, you know. Uh, well, it's like that woman from Belmont. She's trying to do the King's English. She's very close. Well, she's she's very good. But she, I don't but, know why anybody can quit her. If she's pulling a phony, boy, I admire her. I could well, talk to her forever. No, no. Actually, she she lived a lot of years in England, which is where the accent came from. 
Yeah. So it's not an effective thing. But up, up on Beacon Hill, uh, they, they tend, to, tend to have the frozen jaw and uh, some, some talk in this manner. And that's kind of a cultured accent, too. It's sort of halfway between uh, the way the rest of us talk and British. Well, even in Ireland, I'm like yeah, Ireland, yeah. and I've picked up about 12 or 15 distinct accents, and some accents, I knew they were speaking English, but I couldn't understand them. It's like Cockney. If well, you're uneducated, it's like a foreign language. No, Cockney is a little hard to follow, that's oh, true. Oh, horrible. But you speak so clearly, I can understand about every fourth word, Joe, so I appreciate that. No, but I'm saying about the southern accent. I don't have my teeth in. No, no, I'm just joking. Don't make apologies. You sound fine. But actually, it was in the diary of Louis the Six. Oh, well, I can't say Louis the Sixteenth because he was crown prince when he visited Washington. And to me, that's where the southern accent came from. I believe it. I, I, I take your word for anything, Joe, as you convince me. Yeah, and tell them to prefer to the French archives. They do send English translations of the diary, and I think it's thirty dollars. Okay. If they want a translation of the diary in his own words when he visited Washington. Okay, fair enough. Right. Happy Thanksgiving, Joe. And God be with you. God be with you, too. Thank you very, very much. I seem to be striking out with my humor with these folks. Everybody seems to be terribly intense. Is that you? Are you terribly intense? Ah, come on, lighten up, for God's sakes, Chase. Anyways, too, that, was, that, was, that was the dramatization, too. It's 2.54, you're tuned to uh, WBZ, and uh, we can take another, maybe another call before 3 o'clock, or maybe not, and then we'll have the uh, dumb birthday game right after that. Take different political viewpoints. Mary Madeline uh, helped uh, work with President Bush with his, his campaign, his recent campaign. Anyway, she's marrying James Carville today. She's an interesting lady, and so is he, but they're both on different sides of the fence politically. Uh, he was a leader in the Clinton 1992 campaign while she was helping President Bush. But today they get married, James Carville and Mary Madeline. They tie the knot as others break the wishbone. I love literary the sentences like that. They will be meeting on neutral ground this day. Today they will be married at the New Orleans French Quarter. That's where the wedding will be and the party featuring... Dixieland jazz music. Details have been closely guarded, but a few have slipped out. The civil ceremony will be conducted by Kitty Kimball, Louisiana's first female Supreme Court justice and a classmate of Jim Carville at law school. So anyway, there. I don't want to ever see Mary. She says she's a nice-looking lady. She's got a good sense of humor. I mean, for a conservative, usually conservatives, I'll, I'll hear about this. But it seems to me conservatives very rarely have really wild senses of humor. She, she's a very funny lady and an attractive lady. And so today, best wishes to Mary and James Carville. Thank you very much. I just could hardly wait to get on the air to give you that story. One other interesting. Uh, Thanksgiving Day stories, too. We'll maybe sprinkle them in a little bit later on. Then again, if you look terribly bored, I may not even ever mention them ever again. Three o'clock, coming up in about 20 seconds. News time. Norm made a small fortune on late night TV with his infomercial, Norm's Naughty Nighties. We nearly put Vermont Teddy Bear out of business. What? You don't remember that? Huh. Well, maybe it was all just a dream. Have a very happy Thanksgiving, everyone. 
closing the vault and leaving this world a little sillier than we found it. For Dr. Doolittle, Robert Fleischer, Max Fleischer, The Rotoscope, Animation, Sylvia Sidney, Deep Psychological Thinking, Knitting, now let me see if I can get this correct, Garakin Poopoo, Betty Boop, Boop Oopadoop, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Rampaging Robert Mitchum, Orson Welles, Bubbleheads, God of Infomercials, Mike Levy, Coffee and Pie, Lavishly Paid Award-Winning Producers, The High-Paying Glamour Field of Broadcasting, Lazy Lips, Elocution, Old Man Kelly and His Pimple-Cutting Jelly-Making Wife, Town Moderators, Sitting There Talking Like You Know What You're Talking About, Timeshares in Aruba, Jamesville, Wisconsin, Queen for a Day, Jack Bailey, The Perkins School for the Blind, Wild Long Grain Rice, Middleton, Massachusetts, The Daniel Fuller House, Accents, Pasta and Vegetables, Greg Eben, and The Calculated, Intelligent and Smooth, King of the Night, Nam Nathan, I'm Tony, the epitome of a hugely unknown name, Nesbitt.